Hello and welcome to Bright Future, a political and philosophical podcast that follows current events. I'm your host, Samuel Adams, but please call me Sam or by my screen name, The Storm AI. These podcasts start with a pre-thought-out essay section and then I go to you, the listeners, to discuss further in order to improve our world so that hopefully there will be a bright future. To keep our debate civilized, I have organized the following rules to help guide us. First, no insults. Instead, debate in a respectful manner. Second, don't be afraid to admit if you're wrong or update your opinions. After all, we aren't perfect. In addition, update your opinions to take into account new information. Third is Hitchens' razor. If you state something without evidence to back it up, it can usually also be dismissed without evidence. The only exceptions are baseline facts like hurting people is wrong and 1 plus 1 equals 2. Hitchens' razor is if you state something without the evidence... Or, I already went over Hitchens' razor. The next one is the Sagan standard. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence to prove them. In other words, innocent until proven guilty. Next is Hanlon's razor. Most people aren't evil, so don't blame malice for things that could be reasonably caused by simple foolishness. And last is Occam's razor. Simpler explanations that make the least assumptions are most likely to be correct. See, I managed to shorten the intro a bit. We're just under a minute, 30 seconds. Let's begin. This week, nothing in particular stood out to me on the White House website, apart from the usual remarks about Thanksgiving and things like that. This gives me an interesting opportunity to focus on the philosophical aspect of this podcast, which I haven't really been doing enough of. So I thought this week I would talk about cyberbullying in general, and in particular, toxicity, trolling, and griefing in video games. Okay, I'll admit, I chose this topic because I was upset about something that happened in a video game. It doesn't really matter as much as other topics I've covered, of course, but I'll get to the story about what happened in a little bit. Let's start with the general. Cyberbullying is when someone, usually teenagers but can be anyone, bullies or harasses others on the internet. It can involve spreading rumors, threats, leaking personal information, using hate speech, and more. Just one thing, though, isn't just for one time, though, isn't enough to be classified as bullying. For it to be bullying or harassment, it requires both repeated behavior and also an intent to harm. It's become enough of an issue that some states have even passed laws to combat cyberbullying. In many cases of adult cyber harassment, usually end up involving police reports. So, the actual reason I chose to make this episode is because over the past month or two, I got back into GTA Online. The way general gaming works, if you aren't familiar, is especially with multiplayer gaming, is each game can have their own type of community. The developers can kind of influence it a little bit, but the community is generally how the players tend to act on average. The way GTA Online works is that there's this large island and up to 30 players and two spectators can join in uh, for each section. And on this island, uh, players can compete with each other to earn resources, partake in heists, and other various organized criminal activities. But it's been nearly a decade since the game first, out, first came out, so the game's community and um, presets have been established pretty firmly by the players at this point as well as some general etiquette. Not the game established these things, but the players themselves have collectively decided, here's how these things should work. 
For example, if you choose to head a criminal business and uh, get some illicit goods to then store and later sell, in order to start a mission to collect those goods and deliver them to your warehouse, you need to invest some money into it up front. Due to this, it's considered a bad move by other players to then steal or destroy someone else's goods because the player that started that mission had to put money into it and now they've just lost it all. However, the game itself actually rewards you to stop or even destroy other players' property in these kinds of missions, though barely at all. It's far more profitable to actually work together to source and sell these various goods for all parties involved. Still, it doesn't stop that one idiot on a rocket bike launching missiles at your completely defenseless cargo van and ruining hours of your own progress. Now, the game was changed sometime in the past year to allow you to do these types of missions in solo sessions, where there was absolutely no risk of anyone else joining in because there's no one else there at all, and thus avoid players doing this exact thing. But there's a problem with that, too. This is GTA Online, where you're supposed to play with other people. If I wanted to play solo, I would have just done so in story mode, or in another game that doesn't have other players in general. In addition to this, there are also players who will come along and kill you for no reason. Normally when doing those missions I mentioned earlier, the game will actually ping your location um, to the other players in your session, letting them know what you're doing. A big ol' hey, here I am, come kill me, right on the map. As I mentioned earlier though, it's been general etiquette for the players to ignore such notifications, except for the few that don't. While there is a reward for interrupting those missions, it's very small compared to if you just did the mission yourself. But then there are those players who will kill you even when you aren't doing those missions for no benefit at all. There's no money for it, and the game even punishes you. A mechanic called Mental State, which rises higher into a sanity the more you do things like reasonless murder. And if it gets high enough, other players will start getting rewards for killing you, at which point your mental state is reset. It's an interesting mechanic, but doesn't really work as a deterrent for griefing. Because it's not punishing enough. All of this is before the ma other major issue that GTA Online has, mod menus. With most games, especially on computers, you can choose to download various mods to change how the game works. For example, I've got over 70 mods on my copy of Cyberpunk, which changes various things from your clothing options to how cars drive. But in GTA Online, you could also use mods, and instead of just using them to change the clothes or how cars drive, you could instead use them to find other players' approximate location and their internet service provider. Some mod menus even allow modders to crash other people's games or kick them out of sessions. All of this without even mentioning that these menus can make players immortal or teleport. Which means if you're unlucky enough to end up in a session with one of these guys that doesn't respect themselves, and not using these features in player versus player, you're just going to have a bad time. Saying all this, you might get the idea that GTA is basically unplayable because of the murderous intent of other players, but most players are perfectly fine. It's just a few bad ones who don't follow the common etiquette that does their best to ruin it for everyone else. In one example earlier today when I was playing, I'm ad-libbing this part, um, I just drove up to someone because I wanted to, you know, like, be their taxi. I've got a really fast car. I like driving other players around because I got nothing else to do, really. 
And instead of them getting in my car and saying, hey, go to the airport, please, they, he instead shot me in the face and stole my car. I wasn't too happy about that one. The worst incident, though, of people griefing me or something like that was, well, one of the worst players used a mod menu and joined my session, crashed my game, waited for me to restart it, and then once I was back in, they just joined my session and crashed me again. I gave up about 15 minutes after this loop, did other stuff for a few hours, and then tried again just for the loop to resume. And the worst part is, I don't know why. I did nothing to this person or anyone else who might grief me. Well, except for the one guy who was just standing in the middle of the road. I'm so sorry I was going way too fast to stop. Fortunately, after the continual crash loop incident, I gave in and I bought my own mod menu. One of the main features that these mod menus offer is protection against some of these issues. It's now almost impossible to crash my game using your own mod menu, and I can detect which players in the session are modding. The system detects when other players teleport or are immortal. But now I have to worry about restricting myself when it comes to teleporting and immortality so that I don't become the very thing that I, you know, hated so much. All of these things that I've mentioned, though, about what's going on in GTA Online, that's griefing and toxicity, but it isn't technically bullying, because it wasn't continued, and it wasn't directly threatening my livelihood, except for the crash loop incident, which, after I got my own mod menu, can't happen again. What was definitely bullying, though, was while I was researching this, I learned about an online harassment campaign called Gamergate. It started after, in 2014, when a woman named Zoe Quinn released a game called Depression Quest, a text adventure game that told the story about experiencing depression through fictional scenarios based on Zoe's own experiences. Quote from Wikipedia, The game received positive reviews in the gaming media, but faced backlash from gamers who disliked its departure from typical game formats emphasizing violence and skill. I have an issue with that quote. While some typical game formats might focus on skill like platforming, but violence? Sure, a lot of popular games do include violence, but I wouldn't go so far to say that it's typical. There are many, many, many games that divert from that, including Pong, the first ever publicly available video game, which is literally about playing ping pong, no violence involved. Well, unless your team loses. For every game that has violence, I guarantee you I could name a game that doesn't. Most comically, Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing New Horizons, which were released on the same day. Back to Depression Quest, though. Gamergate started after the game started to get review-bombed, and then Zoe started receiving all kinds of threats, which I don't understand. If you don't like a game, just don't play it. Maybe at most, leave a review about why you didn't like it and get a refund, Maybe you could even give some constructive criticism to the publishers about how sequels could be improved. For Zoe, though, this issue was, well, terrible for her, and it became even worse when her former boyfriend, Aaron, posted a lengthy bog... Uh, sorry, uh, tongue-tied there, posted a lengthy blog post titled, titled The Zoe Post that detailed their relationship, breakup, and included chat logs, emails, and text. It, it tried to imply that Zoe received favorable, favorable reviews for her game in exchange for uh, 
intimate relations, and more. And this began to escalate even further until it was a campaign of threats and doxing, and then it began to spread to other people as well. Gamergate expanded to include a media critic, Anita Sar- uh, I'm really sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, Anita Sar- Sarkeesian, I want to say it is. Uh, due to her very due to her YouTube series, she has a YouTube series called Tropes vs. Women in Video Games, which looks at portrayals of women in various video games. Uh, she also received various threats and ended up canceling a speaking appearance in October 2014 due to three anonymous threats, all claiming affiliation with hashtag Gamergate. In the same month, Brianna Wu, the co-founder of a game development company called Giant Space Cat, posted various tweets ridiculing Gamergate, saying they were, quoting from her tweet, fighting an apocalyptic future where women are 8% of programmers and not 3%. Shortly afterward, Brianna's personal details, including her address, were posted across social media, and she received multiple threats, causing Brianna to actually flee her home. And later, she was diagnosed with PTSD. There were many other targets as well, including those who came to the defense of the victims, uh, were also ridiculed as white knights or SWJs. In fact, Gamergate is how the term social justice warrior actually became mainstream. Even now that it's in the past, Gamergate's goals were vague. Other than threatening various women in the gaming industry, the only other thing it may, may have accomplished was, fur- was further tarnishing the word gamers. After all, that word is usually accompanied by a groan, despite the fact that most of us are just people that like to play video games. The worst part about Gamergate, though, is that two targets were two targets of Gamergate were uh, targets of something called swatting, a criminal tactic in deceiving emergency services to send a real response team to someone's address. The most serious incident of swatting actually took fu- uh, took place back in 2017 in Wichita, Kansas, in Call of Duty World War II. Uh, a gamer, Bapperizer, real name Casey Viner, and Miracle, real name Shane Gatskill, uh, started fighting each other, verbally, not just in the way that Call of Duty normally has you fight each other, and Bapperizer threatened to have Miracle swatted. Shane responded by giving Casey a false address, which is actually a real address occupied by an otherwise completely uninvolved Andrew, father of two. Bapperizer then asked a friend, Swatastic, real name Tyler Barris, uh, to make the required fraudulent call to initiate the swatting, and Wichita police responded at the false address as Andrew was leaving his home. Andrew was fatally shot when an officer saw him make a motion with his hand. And that's quoting from the police report. Tyler pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter and other charges for other incidences that he was also wanted for, and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Casey was sentenced to 15 months, and Shane was sentenced to 18 months. The officer who shot Andrew was not charged. While reading this, I was confused about something with this story. Why was was Shane charged? Miracle, or Shane Gaskill, all he did was provide a fake address that turned out, unfortunately, to be real. I mean, a similar scenario happening to me is entirely believable. Someone gets upset with me in a game, demands my address to call the authorities, something like that, Though, I would probably just refuse to provide any information at all. Officially, Shane was charged with wire fraud, and upon reading about it, I can kind of understand. Wire fraud is defined as some form of electronic communication, like a chat box in a video game. Um, In this case, a chat box in a video game. 
So wire fraud is an electronic communication that involves a scheme or intent to defraud someone um, and contains a material deception, a fact that a reasonable person would recognize is relevant to it, to a decision to be made. In this case, a chat box in a video game was used to trick someone into swatting not your house, but someone else's house, and a material deception, a fact that a reasonable person would recognize as relevant to a decision to be made, in this case, an address. I suppose the case would hinge on whether or not Shane knew the address he was providing was actually a real location or not, um, but he was charged with uh, 18 months. In response to this incident, though, Kansas State Legislature made a law in 2018, then the year after it happened, uh, that cr that said that creating a false alarm uh, resulting in an injury or death is a Class 1 felony, carrying a prison sentence between 10 and 41 years. There have been many other swatting incidents both before and since, though thankfully it doesn't always result in an injury. Another thing I've mentioned in the past is how I have issues with how Twitch operates and how I would jump ship given a reasonable alternative. While this method of cyberbullying that I'm about to discuss hasn't happened to me, it's definitely on the list of issues that I have with Twitch. Hate raids. Here's basically how it works. A streamer would set up their own stream and then go live and then get a bunch of bot accounts to spew various hateful or malicious messages in chat. Too much for moderation to catch, and they would set them all to watch their own stream. And then, they raid a target. When I'm ending a stream, what I can do is I can choose to raid another streamer. And the raid basically transfers all viewers, or in the case of a hate raid, all of those bots spewing hateful messages uh, from the stream that's ending to a different stream. And because of the sheer number of bots, it's almost impossible for moderators or the streamer to block or filter out these messages. If this happened to me, I'd be flattered at first to have my viewer count jump up, and then I'd probably be crushed by the sheer number of rotting tomatoes thrown at me. I don't take insults very well, but at least my customer service job is slowly helping me grow thicker skin. And I haven't even mentioned trolls yet. This term is often incorrectly used to refer to anyone with a controversial or differing opinion, and I've actually made that mistake in the past. The actual application of the term is rather subjective, but in general, a troll is someone who gets enjoyment out of provoking others. According to researcher Ben Radford, they do not dress up as traditional clowns, but for their own amusement, tease and exploit human foibles, uh, character weaknesses, to speak the truth and also gain a reaction. Radford suggests that trolls perceive themselves as jesters, tormenting their targets from a position of relative safety. Basically, it's someone who messes with you to try and get a reaction. The best advice to avoid them is to ignore, please don't feed the trolls. However, some, including myself, think this is bad or incomplete advice for dealing with trolls. Instead, depending on how they operate, I might be tempted to try and learn more about them and why they do what they do. Because that may be the only way and... The only way to find out why they do what they do would be to engage with them. I hope that thicker skin my customer service job is helping with can handle it. Because I like to understand how things work. I know how my, my car's engine works by exploding small amounts of gasoline to push pistons in a circle. 
I know that my microphone recording this right now works by vibrating a crystal in sync with my voice to generate an electrical signal. I even sometimes understand opposing viewpoints to my own, even though I might not agree with them due to one or two crucial pieces of information. But I don't understand people that do this sort of thing. I can try to rationalize parts of it. For example, it's perfectly reasonable to assume that cyberbullying is more common than in-person bullying because it's happening online. After all, it is sometimes easy to forget that there's another person on the other side of that screen. But I don't understand why in the first place. One of the reasons I was told growing up was maybe due to bad circumstances at home, but personally, I would like to think that that would lead someone to being more empathetic, not less. While looking over the page for bullying on Wikipedia, researchers have shown that other motives might include envy, resentment, jealousy, or to boost self-esteem. But to me, these things feel an awful lot like the excuse that that girl hit you because she secretly likes you thing everyone tried to tell me growing up. Because she likes you and because she's jealous of you are two very different things. Another reason suggested by Wikipedia uh, is a genetic predisposition. Uh, but that really doesn't sit well with me either. It sounds too much like the argument, the reason why there are more African Americans and Caucasian Americans in prison is because African Americans are more likely to break the law, genetically. And, well, it doesn't sound very good. I don't like it. So the only way I'll probably will probably ever be able to properly understand why people do this is by asking them. But usually their answer is your mom or something equally inane. Feel free to add to the debate by commenting below or discuss these and other topics in my Discord server. If you enjoy the show, check out the merch store, which has items displaying both the show's logo and icons of these individual episodes. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of Bright Future. Unfortunately, there was no one else in the voice chat today to add to the debate, uh, but if you'd like to whenever we do these, uh, they're recorded live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Central. Then, each episode is released every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central the next day. Uh, so I'll see you back here next week.